HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Culture and Flavor is a podcast about food and culture centered in Black and Indigenous food ways. Hosted by myself, Zella Palmer, right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Each episode features high vibrational conversations with cultural bearers, chefs, farmers, scholars, barbecue pitmasters, and more. Where there is flavor, there is history. Join me on Culture and Flavor and all of my guests as we share stories that will have you praise dancing, cooking, conjuring, and inspiring your culinary journey. Welcome to another episode of Culture and Flavor with Zella Palmer. Today, I am so excited to talk to um, just an incredible cultural bearer in the city of New Orleans who has done so much work preserving uh, New Orleans music culture, dance, um, history, Funk, um, it just goes on and on and on. She's just a Renaissance young woman. Chippo Kandaki is a dance ethnographer, a filmmaker, cultural griot, and live performing artist. She received her bachelor's degree from the illustrious Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana, in film. She also studied in Dominican Republic and she, uh, Cuba, and she's been all over the world, Mexico, and the landscape of dance that she has um, curated has a deep connection to the culture of the South, but specifically to Louisiana. She was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and she grew up on Zydeco music. She has been able to connect the South, Black Southern culture, to Latin America, Caribbean, the diaspora, the African diaspora, as well as Africa. Currently, Chippo is the founder of FemFunk, a platform she founded in 2019 to preserve and highlight Black women's contribution to the funk genre. Chippo continues her research with hopes to unify Black Americans looking to connect back to the diaspora. I'm so excited to have her on this episode. Uh, Let's get into it. Welcome, Chippa. Welcome to Culture and Flavor. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and thank you for that 
amazing intro as well. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you, um, especially since, you know, it's definitely a full circle moment from Dilly University and being a part of the program that you're the chair of, um, the Ray Charles program. You know, I learned so much and yeah, it definitely aided in so much research that I'm doing today. So it oh, feels good. that warms thank my heart. So much for, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You were in the inaugural class when I came in as chair and, you know, you have become, you were, a, you know, just a, a huge force of light um, as a student. You know, um, I was so impressed by just, you know, all of the things that you were doing and just your initiative to really uh, preserve culture, to learn as much as you possibly can. And even just working with you uh, to put out our first documentary, the story of New Orleans Creole cooking, the black hand and the pot that's on YouTube. I don't know what I would have done without you because you are also helped oh. to edit that documentary. <laughs> so yes. it was definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, we have definitely collaborated on many things and eventually you became like family to me because we spent many mm-hmm. Christmases together. Um, you even stayed with me for a little bit and, you know, yes. I've just been, you know, your cheerleader uh, from yes. the sidelines since you graduated. So just, just you're just awesome. That's all oh, I have to thank say. Thank you. Thank you. I really <laughs> my mother would say, Chippo. <laughs> yes, shout out Miss Alice. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> no, thank you for that. And yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation um that we about to have today. Um that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we just, you know, j- j- for our listeners that are um tuning in, you know, we just um I want this to just be a really natural conversation because Chippo and I, we have a uh, just in a kind of um, laughter and humor with each other. And mm. we are super nerds. We're film nerds. Uh, we yes. are culture nerds. And <laughs> it's just refreshing to see someone at her age be so interested in you know, the 70s, the different genres of music, uh, different, yes. you know, historical points. And, and and she has, it's a really good conversation that we're about to have. Yes, we had some great conversations. Let's talk about the beginning, Shippo. You were born in Houston, Texas. Yes, born in H-Town. <laughs> <laughs> home of Beyonce, home of Megan Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> And she got the knees to prove it too. (laughs) Yes, I definitely got the knees. Okay, you know, but um, yes, that's originally from Houston, Texas. Um, And it's so funny because I'm I'm saying all that and I never, to be quite honest, I haven't been the biggest fan of Houston. Um, Mm -hmm. I got out as quick as I could, um, to be honest, um, because it was just always something about um, Louisiana because uh, that's where my roots are, basically on both sides of my family. They came to Houston from Monroe and New Iberia, mm-hmm. um, Louisiana. And so, yeah, I grew up partially in Houston, partially Little Rock, Arkansas as well. Mm-hmm. But um, always in the South. But as soon as I got out of high school, child, I was like, it's time to go. <laughs> I need some roots. I need to get to some roots. Um yeah, so I came to New Orleans like right after that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and started at Dillard. But, you know, even while I grew up in Houston, um, 
like you kind of mentioned in the bio, Zodico has always been the backdrop to my life. And it's so funny because I never made the connection with Louisiana growing up, but we will always go to the meat market, get boudin, get, you know, always be making like things like dirty rice. And my family is actually, they big on barbecuing as well. You know, they from mm-hmm. the country. So I grew up around all of these things and it actually wasn't until I came to New Orleans and honestly, when I start studying more in depth about Creole culture, I'm like, girl, this is where all that comes from. But it never really clicked for some reason. So, yeah, it's been very interesting, like finding those full circle moments, like you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you got you decided to major in film. Yes. And, you know, I want to talk about just your totally love unexpected, for film. by the way. Totally, totally unexpected. unexpected. Really? Why did yeah. you say that? My first, when I was in, it, it all comes first cir- full circle, but when I was in high school, I saw a Mary-Kate and Ashley book because they were saying they were anthropologists mm-hmm. um, at this point in their career. And I remember reading, I was like, oh, I'm an anthropologist. I'm an anthropologist because mm-hmm. it's like a person who studies culture, people, you know, and how they interact in different places. So I always thought when I started community college and when I started school I just thought that was the path that I was going to take um that or something in visual with a minor in visual arts but um it was when my godmother she was actually living in New Orleans at the time and she was like um I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do I just did my first two years of school and I'm still not sure about my major because I'm not trying to be sitting down writing papers all day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, child, I ain't about to be writing papers all day, working for the government like that. I was like, I don't know if that's my life. Like, you know, I I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. It just didn't seem right. And she was like looking at me because, you know, shout out to Miss Cherise. That's my god, mom. She was like, Chippo, ever since you were a kid, you've been like a film nerd. Like, Mm-hmm. Like you went into film you always was like and the film program had just started at Dillard University literally the year I got there and mm-hmm. she was just like you should just move to New Orleans and do film and I was like oh yeah you're right so mm-hmm. that's how that's basically how all of that started um, with filmmaking but interesting enough I mean that has always been a passion of mine like always been a film nerd always been that one person like I ain't gonna lie, Zella, it was so nerdy. Like I had a whole journal of what film I was gonna watch each day. And I used to take notes on them and watch commentaries, all types of crazy stuff. So once I did it, I was like, okay, this makes sense. But as I was like going through school, I started to see how like, especially through documentary filmmaking, mm-hmm. like that is, it basically coincides with the field of sociology with anthropology, you know, discovering, exploring and diving deeper into like different cultures and like the way people live. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is just like a tool to do what I always want to do. So I quickly realized I'm not really very far off from like my first, what I always said I wanted to be. Um, But it's really just finding those tools within me, like the different mediums to access that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so while you were a student, you know, you had a curiosity that I found so refreshing. Um, 
you know, you were always wanting to learn more and you were always trying to connect with cultural bearers in the city, whether they, whether they were um, New Orleans Black masking Indians or, you know, second line, um, you know. Um, stayed at the second line. Yeah, you were stayed at the second line, you know. And I really think it, it shaped you as well, uh, you know, and just prepared you for what was next. And then I remember the first thing that, um, the first time you went out of the country, you went to Dominican Republic and studied in Dominican Republic. Yes. Talk about just, you know, I want to start talking about your travels and how you use film and ethnography to kind of tell your stories and tell other people's stories through um, social media as well as through film. I mean, yeah, it all started in New Orleans, to be honest, because, you know, this is not my home space. And one thing I learned about myself, that's probably part of me being a Scorpio as well. I like to immerse myself in things and I learn about stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I think especially cause I spent so much of my childhood reading in the library, researching. It's like when I'm there, it's like, you know, not just going to be a part of, but to actually immerse myself in the culture was so important. That's why, you know, being in new Orleans and like, okay, I'm in new Orleans. So I want to be a part of the second line. So I want to know, you know, where does black masculine Indian culture come from? Or like just being in the streets quite literally. And mm-hmm. by the time I went to Dominican Republic, I had that same mentality for better or worse. <laughs> I was in the streets. I was in the sky <laughs> game. That's how, because I, I'm not going to lie, like, you know, to any students listening, you know, definitely follow the rules. But um, yes, <laughs> please do. Please follow do. the rules. But when, but to be completely honest, when I the reason why I got the experience I got in um Dominican Republic because I took chances. They told us everything not to do, all the places not to go. But I knew if I stayed within the bubble that I was in, that there was no way I was really gonna be able to experience the culture firsthand. So yes, like I was in the neighborhoods with the people basically living the lifestyle of a Dominican, you know, I was drinking that water. Okay. I was in that water. Girl, don't tell me you were drinking mama water. <laughs> I was, I was, I was drinking the water. I was dancing with the people. I was uh, hanging out with the people. I was at the Comando. I was everywhere. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> what I was doing because at the end of the day, a very important part about what I do is like, I like to access what's really happening Mm. and so that's why I say street a lot because it's just like I want to know what's really going on like in the street in the neighborhood because that's where you get a true essence of the people of the culture and like the dynamics and what's really going on so it's like that's what I did you know and I think yeah it's definitely interesting especially doing these things like as a black woman from my lens um and Cause to be quite frankly, like in the field, like when you think of like anthropologists and all of that, like you see a certain type of people, but you know, usually, but anyway, um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm building it all up for, you know, because I want our listeners to, I know they're going to just fall in love with you because as you know, everybody loves Chippo. Uh, you need a whole TV show that says everybody loves Chippo. Oh, Lord. No. <laughs> but no. then 
during the pandemic, uh, you were accepted to a graduate program in the UK. What happened at that moment? Well, yes, I was I wasn't accepted yet, but I, my plan was to go to yeah London to get my graduate degree, and I was going out there to check out some schools. But of course, the pandemic hit. I was working, you know, with the CAC with Material Life, and at that point, I don't know how I ended up. I was doing public programming at the time. And in the art world, I ended up in the art world, which was so far off from where I wanted to be. So when the pandemic hit, it really gave me a chance to stop. I was so happy because I was so overworked at that time, but I got a chance to just stop. But really, it was a blessing because I got to get back to the things that I really love, my true passions and like my purpose or everything I'm here to do. And, you know, it all has to do with, you know, healing through dancing and the research that I do with dance movement, dance cultures, just to connect Black people all over the world and specifically, you know, rooted in Louisiana and New Orleans. So it's just like during that time, I just became even more a nerd because there was nothing else to do. So I did everything I did as a kid, which was you know, basically reading, reading about culture, studying, you know, watching documentaries. And then it got to the point where it was just like, I took a chance. They told us to stay inside the house. I said, I'm not staying inside the house. I'm like, I'm going to take this moment right now. <laughs> so go and do the research that's been basically in my head for like all of my adulthood and just start doing it right now. And I started to go fund me. Uh, the universe blessed me. I got the money. And I moved to Mexico to start researching indigenous dance, Mayan dances there, and connecting it back to Louisiana. And from there, like, I just went full throttle into being, going deep into my practice, deep into my art, and deep into my purpose. So, yeah. Mm. What what are some of the things that you learned and, you, you know, just connecting uh, Louisiana to Mexico to Dominican Republic? What were some of the takeaways, you know, just reflecting on it now? Uh, because you, you left Mexico, you, you've been gone from Mexico for a couple of years now, right? If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. a year or so. What What are some of the connections that you made? I mean, the biggest connection that I, which I think probably surprised me the most that I learned in Mexico was how not just, cause I was in the Yucatan mostly that area, but all over Mexico, how um, Mexican people were so connected to West African dance from Guinea. Mm-hmm. I thought that was crazy. I was like, I knew because it's just like, even in America, you know, we definitely have in the black community, there's a lot of, uh, we do a lot of practices, you know, when it comes to like learning about West African dance, but how intense it is in Mexico is crazy. Like they have communities literally in every state (laughs) throughout Mm -hmm. the country of like people who they don't just 
do the African dance and it's not in a way of like exploitation, like they live it. Like I'm talking mm. about, you know, I these are my friends, like they sleep in tents, they're hippies, you know, like that kind of energy, you mm-hmm. know, and they drum, they wake up every day and drum. They mm-hmm. drum, they, they drum like they come straight from Africa. They be drumming mm-hmm. and they be dancing, they tell off. And I, I think that was probably like learning that connection and just making more connections with, you know, the history of like how that even came to Mexico, you know, and why that was a thing, um, which dates back all the way to things like Veracruz and then learning how like there were settlers from New Orleans who basically people from New Orleans in the early 1900s who came to Veracruz and started their own town as well, their own communities. Like things just started to make more sense um, to me. And even seeing the similarities in Dominican Republic, I mean, basically the product of slavery and colonization and how like similar cultures and similar sounds were developed between Zadico and uh, Meringue Tipico, which happens in the Campos, just like um, in Louisiana. And they have their own, like, they're not trail rides, but they're very similar to the culture of trail rides, like in Louisiana as well. So it was just, it's dope to always see because I'm all about making similarities, uh, comparing than I am contrasting because I feel like, you know, like people just need to come together. So <laughs> absolutely. People need to come together. And I I remember um there was an exhibit in Chicago at the um Mexican Art Museum there, and it was called African Presence in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um it was it it you know went on tour to other museums for quite some time. And the connection and the links um historically from you know goes way back and it's very deep, you know? So I was so excited for you to go there. Um, I lived there as a, you know, little girl when my dad um, worked there. And, you know, I I have very fond memories of living in Mexico as a child and to see you, you know, post and, you know, even being able to visit you over there and just see you just, you know, become Chippo, you know, to become the Chippo that, and the evolution of Chippo, I should say, was, was such a beautiful sight to see, you know, cause I've, I think I've known you since you were like 19 or so, whenever mm-hmm. you started at Dillard, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then I want to get into, I want to talk about Fem Funk. Mm-hmm. Fem Funk you know, you ha- you're not only a film lover, but you're a music lover as well. Uh, we've always had deep conversations about film, and we're going to get into that later after the break um, to talk about our favorite films. We've even done like a little YouTube together, which was so much fun. Oh, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> uh, dang. Oh, what was, what the, was the name of that? I, I can't uh, remember the name of dang. it now. That's it. Uh, so the t- I know that that's how many years ago it's like it was ago. But we used to just have fun and just nerd out on <laughs> films and you know, and then definitely music. You have a deep love for music that I think has, you know, yes. helped you launch Fem Funk because you recently had an event here in New Orleans. I mean, there were so many people at that event just to see, you know, your work because you've used social media as a platform to um 
talk about culture, dance, music, even New Orleans bounce music. I mean, you caused a controversy, a controversy <laughs> in the city by some of your research, a couple, right? A couple of things to say. To say <laughs> yeah, so talk about, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, just um, your love for music and femme funk. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely... I do have a deep, uh, I, I would definitely have to say when it comes to music, my love for music runs a lot deeper than my love for film. It's been mm-hmm. since I was a kid. And, you know, when I started film funk, you know, one, I'm a funketeer all day, every day. Like, I think, you know, I don't necessarily have a favorite genre, but just based off of like everything I know about music for me personally in contemporary times, funk is the epicenter of everything. It's a culmination of everything that came before and it was the blueprint, the blueprint for everything after, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's why for me, when I started film funk and obviously emphasis on the film, I saw the discrepancy you know, look, we live in a society, you know, post-colonial society where it's just like patriarchy had its play and it even had its play within our own communities. And because of that, you know, in funk music, you know, we love the funk OGs. We love James Brown. We love Sly. We love George. We love all of them. But, you know, what I was seeing, there was a lot of films and when I say films, I mean women or anybody that's film identified, um, you know, who just did not get their just due. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kind of been made invisible over the years or people don't know the full extent to what they contributed to culture, to music, to, you know, everything that represents popular culture today. And the thing about funk, funk is all about liberation you know, freedom mm. of expression. That's what mm. makes it so, that's why it's such a powerful genre. And I mean, it was the music that was the soundtrack to the civil rights movement, to the Black Panther movement. This is the music that introduced us to like, you know, some really psychedelic stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> we're just gonna walk around in diapers, you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all ain't never seen Black people look like that. Like, I was like you know. It's just like we we out of space now, like you know, the right? The mothership. mothership. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it was just like really show how beyond and really creating like a future that you know maybe doesn't exist right now, maybe doesn't see. So it's a really powerful genre, and just musically, technically, it set the blueprint for everything you listen to from hip hop, mm-hmm. from you know house, from techno from jungle to trap to all of this stuff like it cannot be done without funk but like i said there's so many key players from you know malia franklin and um even like i was just talking about fashion designers like ola hudson uh don silva from brides and funkenstein and um mm-hmm. even millie jackson you know she definitely gets her flowers but i don't think people realize to the extent like you know how these women really paved the way and even some trans like women um like Jackie and even 
like Katie Red, first ever mm-hmm. trans, gay, whatever you want to call it, but queer rapper ever. And it's like when you listen to the samples and the energy, it's like all about freedom of expression, you know, not caring what nobody think, you know, mm-hmm. just like um, Sly said, just like George led into my own thing type yes. of energy. And so I definitely created that platform to highlight the underdogs, the people who are unsung, you know, who are alive, past and present, you know, the artists that are coming up right now who, you know, quite frankly, just needs to get their flowers, you know, needs mm-hmm. to, y'all need to put some respect on their name. Okay. At the end of the day. So, one of the, one of the, uh, one, I'm one of the fans <laughs> that you celebrated on your social media page, Fem Funk. Um, that I was so happy that you, you know, celebrated, gave her her flowers and did this beautiful, um, you know, tribute to her was Betty Davis. I mean, Betty Davis, hands down, you know, and, and Miles Davis, you know, and the midpoint of his career, would it not be who he, you know, he, I, 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 his career might have just uh, stayed stagnant. She revived him, yeah. Yeah, she revived him. And, you know, to see younger generation, you know, to talk about her and to give her her flowers. I mean, you know, she was a powerhouse, you know, powerhouse. She was Mm -hmm. made for this generation because she was, I mean, she was too advanced. She was too, she was a lot for Mm -hmm. that time period. So yes, you know, shout out to Betty Davis for really paving the way for so many of us today i mean she was doing some stuff like she made james brown mad james brown wasn't messing with her (laughs) he said that's too much Uh it's so funny she does everything that basically what female rappers do today from mega stallion to cardi b Mm -hmm. to you know the list goes on and on she did that she did that Mm -hmm. in the 70s when people shut her down so shout out Mm. and you recently met george clinton Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I met George, um, I think it was about a year, a year and a half ago now. Yeah, I mm-hmm. met him a, a while ago, which I don't know, that was it was dope. I mean, like, like I said, my biggest takeaway from me and George Clinton was just seeing how happy he was. And, you know, he's now in this new era. He took over the music game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he did that. And now he's taking over the art world. And it's just, it's really inspiring to see, you know, him just using, you know, still carry on the funk, but like Mm -hmm. now doing it through different mediums. Uh, I don't know. I really, right now, I don't really have much to say about George, but it's just good to see him. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, just, I think, um, you know, you've provided so much education online, uh, you know, when you were talking you did that one about um, Elvis and, you know, how he culturally appropriated the blues, mm-hmm. um, you know, and even just fast forwarding to the, you know, the funk is behind so many genres, just like you said. But, you know, you've also really curated and been a ethnographer for New Orleans bounce music. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean... Like I said, I mean, I really love, I really love bounce music so much. And and I think bounce is in its own way, it's very like rebellious. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot, but it's been difficult though, because 
one thing about um the genre the genres like this is that you know they're so in the moment they're so like you know you just have to be there that the preservation kind of falls off as a result and so you know it's just been really interesting like because I'm still learning to be quite honest with you like in everything when it comes to bounce music but you know it's frustrating because it's just like man like you know this you know as somebody especially that's not from New Orleans like doing this research it's like there's not really one place or too many sources where you can rely to know the the origins of bounce and it's so crazy because you know bounce has been going on longer than it's been recorded like mm. even though you know everybody knows where they at as like the official first recorded bounce song which was around do not quote me on this uh i believe it's around 93 somewhere mm -hmm. around that time bounce was happening in the mid to late you don't know since the mid 80s mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying and it's just like you know, I'm so, I feel like New Orleans is the epicenter of so much in music and culture. That's why it's just so important for me to just get the facts straight so people know, like, a lot of the stuff that y'all doing is started here. You know, mm -hmm. even with the twerk thing, the twerk craze, you know, Cheeky Black, right? she coined the term. You know what I'm saying? Cheeky Black mm -hmm. coined the twerk term, and a lot of people do not know that. They do mm -hmm. not know that, that that started in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I'm always about setting the record straight, getting down to the truth, getting down to the bottom, all the way down to the records, you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to come back after um, a few messages from our sponsors. And we thank you for listening to Culture and Flavor and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more with Chippo about some of uh, our favorite films and, you know, just some songs and music that relates back to food and culture. So thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. All right, so we're back with Chippo. Uh, and I'm excited to just kind of talk about, you know, just 
Well, the, I was thinking about, you know, I curated this playlist and, you know, you're always curating music as well. And um, I was thinking about James Brown and Pass the Peas and how, you know, music is really the soundtrack of our lives and especially African-American um, experiences and how, you know, there's songs out there when you even, you know, and I'm a, like, you love funk. I, I love salsa. I'm a salsera any day, you know, and I love just, it makes me happy and, you know, and, and funk and salsa comes together at some point. Blues is all connected and, and hip hop and bounce. Um, and I think about songs like Arroz con Habichuelas, you know, it talks about rice and beans and, you know, all of these different songs. We it pinpoints a historical point in his in, in time, you know, and what are some of the songs that you you know, resonate with, I know you have a lot of them, but I'm just thinking off the top of your head that you've been listening to lately that you just kind of motivates you or has you thinking about history and culture. A song? I don't know. Tutti Frutti? James Brown? Tutti Frutti? I mean, Frutti. Uh, uh, not James Brown. I'm, oh Lord, little Richard gonna come down and strike me. Girl, uh, yes, little, he is. <laughs> little Richard, child. Little Richard. I don't know. I mean, quite honestly, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's honestly, that's a difficult question for me because, okay. you know, I don't know. Music song is just, they're all, they're so loaded with so many things, you know, especially mm -hmm. culturally, historically, like every piece of music you know, it's like a timestamp. So it's just like, I can't really, uh, it, it would be hard to pick a song or to pick something that I'm listening to at the moment um, mm -hmm. that really takes me there, Okay, to be honest. So yeah, that one, I have to contemplate. Okay, that's fair. Um, when you, you know, in your recent... Uh, performance, your live performance that you did in New Orleans. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the music that you played there that you uh, performed to? Yeah, so basically in my performance, um, I just wanted to highlight kind of the evolution of funk uh, in its many forms, uh, specifically around hip-hop, taking it all the way from the 70s to present day, just to show the correlation. And I was really inspired by Lynn Collins. Lynn Collins was um, the female preacher of funk coined by James Brown. He She was a part of the James Brown revenue. And her song was the most sampled, uh, one of the most sampled songs ever, just mm -hmm. ever. It's to this day, like there's a song that just came out by Nicki Minaj that just sampled it. Like that's mm. how deep that sample goes and it's not in all genres. And so- What's the name of the um, song again? The song is called Think by Lynn Collins. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so it's the breakdown part um, by Clyde Stubblefield. That's mm -hmm. the main part of it that gets sampled and yeah, like I said, in everything. So what I did was put together music that incorporated like all these samples from- um, you know, early funk, you know, Lynn Collins to Patra and Dance Hall, who actually did a collaboration with her while mm -hmm. she was still alive, to, you know, 
and quit, you know, from Florida, Miami base to, you know, bounce music to, you know, female trap that's being played today. And I just correlated all the dance moves that represent each era during the performance. So it's just like a whole evolution. But all of this is being driven by Lynn Collins mm-hmm. in the background. Mm. And yeah. Mm. So that that's basically what my performance was about. I mean, it I, I I wasn't able to attend. I was out of town, but I mean it looked amazing and you were able to bring so many people together. And, you know, I think like I said, you know, just you educating folks about um, music and culture on femme funk or whether on your personal page, I think is um, really profound, um, you know, whether it's through dance or music or, you know, history. Um, I want to talk a little bit about just our favorite, some of the, some of your favorite films. I was, you know, thinking about some of our many film nights where we, you know, nerd out and watch movies. Um, And I was thinking just some movies that came off the top of my head that, you know, that some of them, and I don't know if you've seen some of them, you might have. Uh, I know you've seen a few of them for sure. Uh, But some of my my favorites are Chocolate. I love that film with Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. Like Water for Chocolate, classic, classic, classic film. Uh, Soul Food was a classic film when you talk about food and uh, culture and just this iconic movie. Mm-hmm. Claudine, love Diane Carroll in that. Mm-hmm. Auntie Mame is really special for me because it was the last film I was able to watch with my mom before mm-hmm. she passed. And we had a really special moment wow. just laughing. And um, I'll never forget in this, that scene in Auntie Mame where it says, live, 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 where she tells everyone, live, live, live. <laughs> and then her her nephew comes in the house and she's uh, letting him try caviar for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Big Night is also a great one. Um, yes. I love Big Night. I love Big Night. Uwe C is an, uh, a Cuban film and it's, it's, it's a great film because it shows Cuba... Mm-hmm. through the eyes of a child, you know, and there's some great food scenes in there as well, you know, where they're eating eggs and rice. And it, show, it basically shows you like what, what it's like to uh, live on both sides, those who are pro-fidel and those who are not pro-fidel mm-hmm. living in the same country. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see the movie Chef recently. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stand that movie. Um, oh, God. You know, I just I was wondering, you know, the black women that were in the kitchen, you know, how come they didn't rebel and they were just OK with, you know, him burning the whole restaurant. Hey, I fire. Oh, shoot. Girl, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stand yet. that movie. You know, and I know it's, I know that some people love that film, but I'm just like, OK, you know, nobody was in the kitchen. Like, no, we're not burning together. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, that, Girl, that's yeah, that's crazy. That I might get my blood boiling too. Right? <laughs> I don't know about so, that. What are some of the films? And you know, I know that um we both love 70s movies. I mean, mm-hmm. we could sit there and watch them all day. What are mm-hmm. some of the films that you um and your top five, I should say? Top five films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at number one is definitely Velvet Gold Mine. Mm-hmm. Um, Velvet Gold Mine, Velvet Gold Mine, you know, talks about the history of glam rock 
through fictionalized stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got Goldie Goldmine is definitely a favorite. Um, besides Velvet Goldmine, what would be my favorite films? Ooh, child, another hard question. Definitely <laughs> Velvet Goldmine for sure, because mm-hmm. that's just one I always come back to. Um, uh, dang, Zella, you asked me all these hard questions. <laughs> Yeah, that's not hard. Yes, it is. It's so many. Um, I have to go ahead. Black, yeah, Negro Fail, yeah, Black Fail Negro. I mean, that's a classic film. You know, Black Orpheus. Classic. Yes. No, I I love that film so much. It's not my favorite though. That's your favorite. That's my favorite. (laughs) I make you watch it twenty times. (laughs) But yeah, I I definitely grew up on that film and I loved it. I mean, such a beautiful film to showcase just. Brazil and just black people in Brazil, you know, through this like tragic story, you know, that really incorporates spirituality and all of that. Like it's mm-hmm. just a must see a classic. But as far as my favorites, I mean, I guess I got one. Velvet Goldmine is just the one that sticks out because it's the one I always go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just so many amazing films. I love Girl Six mm-hmm. as well. Good one. Um, Spike Lee. Spike Lee, you know, soundtrack on uh totally by Prince. Mm, yes. Um I think as well <laughs> Graffiti Bridge. Oh my I god. Mean, See now you talk about language. Don't let me start talking about Prince. I'll go into a whole I think uh, you a whole yeah. podcast just about Prince. <laughs> I know we do, but like all this campy, campy, I'm talking all these campy films, Velvet Goldmine, Graffiti Bridge. It's so ridiculous, but it's so good. Mm, um, I love that one. Graffiti Bridge and uh, yeah, I made it to three. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. If I think any longer, this podcast is gonna be over. <laughs> I'm trying to think about some of the movies that you know we watched with my mom. Oh, there there was that Jamaican movie that you showed me. Remember? Um, Which about one? the dance hall, about the dance hall queen. It was oh, set- baby mother. It's called baby baby mother. It's about. The oh yeah, that was a good it's one. A, the dance hall culture in London. Yes, yes. that was a good one. That's that a was classic. a good one. That's a classic. 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 No, I love that. Um, but yeah, there's so many uh, so many films out there. Quite honestly, and I mean, even thinking before I got on this podcast, I was just like, let me think of films that really show uh, and that really talk about you know kind of like the culinary and the food histories you know of black culture and I was even specifically thinking about America and honestly you know let me just be quite frank outside of soul food like there's not really that much in film that we have and I think you know, this could be a good moment if it's any filmmakers listening <laughs> to, to start telling these culinary stories. And I think for sure we've had revival with a lot of, of documentary films that's been coming out. And even the one that you did that I edited, that's really yes. telling the history. But I think there's a void of that because that one I had to scratch my head on a lot. 
and soul mm. food is great and all but you know i don't want to see no film about big mama losing her leg like you mm. know what i'm saying let's yeah. keep it real like let's keep it real you yeah. know let's keep it real and it's just like you know black food is so diverse and the history is so rich as well and it's beyond the soul food and i think you know yeah i would love to see more of that in film and documentaries and i'm it's so amazing that you know we have a few films that's been coming out like high on the hog mm-hmm. and that's on netflix that showcases like the history you know behind the way we eat but you know yeah there's definitely a void absolutely sure absolutely and i remember recently we watched the movie to sleep with it with um anger uh, Danny Glover was oh, in that, that was film. So that was really that was good. So good. Um, highly suggest our listeners look into that one. A classic film and really, you know, talks about just deep South Southern culture, mm-hmm. you know, deep Southern black culture. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that time period um, where many from the great during the great migration left and moved to other areas and you know, some of the practices that they kept, some that they chose not to continue with and, Mm -hmm. you know, and what happens when people move, um, you know, and the memories and and trauma sometimes that they hold. Mm -hmm. No, that that movie was, honestly, that was an amazing movie. And I think that movie was also a perfect example of how, like, they even touched on they touched on some the spirituality of it as well without being so on the nose um Mm -hmm. and I think that was really important yeah no that one I definitely recommended that's a 10 out of 10 for me (laughs) absolutely absolutely I was yes yes but that was that's a classic film that I don't think gets enough um flowers and Danny Glover is such an amazing actor and you know everyone who was in that film was also you know mm-hmm. had had where it was in the cosby show and you know i can't remember all of their names but i've i've seen them in uh old episodes mm-hmm. of the cosby show so mm-hmm. it, you know that pool of black actors you know had been rotated many times in um mm-hmm. other you know performances and shows but i want to also talk about you know you're also a vegan Mm-hmm. You inspire me. I just want kinda. you to know that. Kind of. <laughs> no, I wanted to say that because mm-hmm. like, you know, when you came on campus, you know, I think, you know, you also change. And I think stu- a lot, some students, vegan uh, college students are also, you know, advocating for their food systems to be better, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do believe that, you know, you by you like always pushing, you know, no, I'm going to eat this and showing other students and, you know, and doing things on a budget, I think uh, really helped to change. And, you know, just our cafeteria, um, you know, encouraging other students on campus as well. And I've watched you, you know, through the years, just uh, continue to evolve and create beautiful recipes as well, just for yourself. And even for your friends, like when I saw in uh, Mexico, when you uh, made uh, vegan uh, mafe, I was like, oh, look at her making mafe. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's my favorite, my favorite dish to make. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure. Like, yeah, I think the most hilarious thing 
was that I moved to New Orleans and became a vegan. Like <laughs> literally within the first month I was here. And I know people was like, how could you possibly do that? So I never was that person that came and had the po' boys and any all mm-hmm. that all the stuff that people come to New Orleans for. Like, I don't know, something in my spirit just told me that, you know, I don't want to do that no more. And I was around friends who were from New Orleans mm-hmm. and vegan. So it made it a lot easier, like learning from them how they cook and everything. And yeah, it was interesting being on campus as well. Um, doing that because this was back before vegan was a trend. This was when mm-hmm. <laughs> this is when nobody was really about it. So yeah, I mean it was really beautiful, and I think honestly, like um, being vegan, traveling, and just learning more about like my heritage. You know, I feel like on a spiritual level, like I resonate with you know, a more plant-based diet because it's more true to my lineage and my bloodline. Because I remember one of my favorite stories to retell um, was when I was in Paris and I was hanging around a bunch of Congolese people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he asked, there was a Nigerian girl there actually, and he asked her, he asked her if she was vegan because we all were vegan, plant-based. And she was just like, I'm African. When he asked her if she was vegan, now the girl is Nigerian and she's vegan. So mm-hmm. saying all that to say, she was like, of course I'm vegan because I'm African. And it was mm-hmm. just so, and um, that's basically what she was saying. And he wrote a whole article about it. If you can read Portuguese, <laughs> you should definitely check it out. But mm, I that can. Just, so I want you to send that to me. <laughs> yes, I'll send it to you. And basically, um, you know, that was a deep moment because as I was talking to my friend Ricardo, shout out to Ricardo, he was saying how growing up, because he grew up in the Congo, this is not somebody, even though he lives in France now, he grew up in the Congo and he talked about how his grandmother cooked all the time. And, he was like the food was just what people call vegan now was naturally vegan and they would just eat eat meat for special occasions Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But he was like, all our food was naturally vegan. And he talked a lot about how colonization in Africa is what introduced all that meat into the diet because he Mm -hmm. said, no, he said we never was eating meat like that. And like, if we did, it was like very special occasion, like for a big holiday or something like that. And I thought that was really interesting because the narrative that gets spun a lot, you know, is the total opposite. And it's so interesting to see how, you know, meat is a part of a lot of people's diet today, but that's basically an effect, uh, has been a result of colonization worldwide. And I'm just like, wow, you know? And so it was dope, like, it was really dope just being around them and just kind of getting like that information, like literally from source, from somebody who grew up in the mm-hmm. Congo instead of like mm-hmm. reading about it, you know? So I think, I think we always just have to remember, you know, that, um, you know, when, when Africa, when different tribes uh, from Western Central Africa were targeted and trafficked and enslaved and brought um, to this country, you know, they had, they were skilled workers, you know, Mm -hmm. they were skilled. And I don't want to say workers, I removed that. They were skilled and specifically in agriculture. And 
when I think about like some of our elders um, and just thinking about, uh, you know, some interviews that I did with Mother Doretha Mitchell, who is um, Ed Mitchell, the Ed Mitchell's barbecue that I just, um, Mm -hmm. the book that I just put out. And she was amazing. book. Thank you, boo. I appreciate (laughs) that. No, but she talked about just, you know, how, you know, they were always growing, you know, growing their own food in the South. And, you know, nobody could afford to go to the supermarket and, you know, a cow was expensive. That was for milk. You know, you were, Mm -hmm. that was a prized possession, you know, and you weren't going to like, you know, kill your cow like that. And so the consumption of meat that we have in the States is, you know, over the top now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember, you know, just even a a friend of mine, she was Irish, you know, we went to the Taste of Chicago many years ago. Mm -hmm. And she said, God, you all eat so much meat in America. She's like, it's insane, you know? And she's like, every meal that you all have, you all have to have meat. Like, why? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, those are what you just said about film and visuals and, you know, storytelling. We have to change the narrative. Um, people like yourself, people like, you know, many cultural bearers out there are using social media as a platform when we don't when the major deals don't actually sometimes come our way, right? Mm -hmm. We're just beginning to uh, tell our stories again, because we've told our stories before in different times, I think in American history, James Baldwin, Maya Mm -hmm. Angelou, Toni Morrison. And I think there is a renaissance happening right now where, um, you know, our stories are being told because we're telling it to each other in social mm-hmm. media and in conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do feel that sometimes, um, t- you know, and it's, it's no, it's no shade to um, hip hop artists or anything. Mm-hmm. They were just trying to make money and, mm-hmm. you know, they got those deals, but it did do a lot of damage to our communities yeah. in the sense that that's, the only thing we see is that That's the you way know? to get out or the way. Yeah, there's no nuance, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, black folks, blacks, black folks and indigenous folks worldwide are not a monolith, you know. No. We're so much more. Not at all. Not at all. So yeah, I think I definitely agree with you. I think right now, you know, <laughs> Just like Beyonce said, we in a renaissance. So, you know, a lot of new voices and new things are emerging. I definitely look forward to seeing, you know, everything that comes from it. And, you know, you're a part of that as well. You know, um, you too. great, great <laughs> storyteller, you Thank know, you. great historian and all of that. So and I think the more that we all just continue to put out the work and tell these stories i mean you're doing it right now through your podcast like you. you know what i'm saying like preserving you know black indigenous you know food practices you know histories that you know are not common because this is not stuff that we are taught in school and these are things that are normally talked about within homes mm. so like what you're doing is very valuable it's very it's really edgy because it's like it challenges a lot of things as well. You know, a lot of the norm and, you know, 
what's already in history. And I think it's important that, you know, we keep putting out this work. We keep putting out the work because it's making a huge difference. hundred <laughs> percent. I just want to give you your flowers because I mean, I've just seen you just grow so much. Um, you are just, you know, you were loved by my parents when they were here on this oh. earth. They would just light up, <laughs> you know, every, every Christmas when you would come over and they just say, Chippo, oh. you know, and the many beautiful holidays, you know, cause my house was always open to yes, any student anybody. in need. <laughs> yeah, shout you know, out I would, to Buzz and Alice. Aww, <laughs> aww. and they Love enjoyed them. watching movies, uh, you know, with you. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you. I just want to thank you for those those special moments that we had. Um, you know, oh, until thank you they for having me. Transition, of course, <laughs> of course, me. of course. So what? What you know? What are uh, some of the things that you're going to do in the? In the future, you know, what are some of the things that you're thinking of or what can people look forward to um, now that you have done this stellar, you know, girl, you I tore it down. You know, I was like, what? Look at Chippo. You know, you had hundreds of people. You, What did you tell me? You sold out in like 24 hours well, or in the end? Out, but yeah, sold a 750, sold 750 tickets in a couple of hours on the day of the performance which I'm pretty sure is over capacity. So that was just like, crazy. that blew my mind because I didn't think that many people cared. <laughs> but yes, coming up for Film Funk, and that was our first, my first Film Funk performance. Um, so definitely be on the lookout for more Film Funk performances, not just throughout New Orleans, but throughout the state. Um, so yes, that's coming up. Um, mm-hmm. As well as just, more content uh, centered around dance history, more of my bounce history rollout content, just celebrating all the OGs, um, especially the women from Mia X, the Cheeky Black to Miss T and all of that. And um, yeah, more dance healing. Uh, I will be um, teaching my Shake With Chippo dance classes all about connecting to your sensuality and being comfortable with your body um, at the CAC um, and at Dancing Brown. Yeah, the Contemporary Arts Center of New Orleans um, and as well as Dancing Ground. So you just check my um, page, my Instagram at Kandake, K-A-N-D-A-K-E and also follow me at FemFunk. Um, just to be up to date with everything that's coming up. So, (laughs) I'm excited for that. And I just, you know, I just want to kind of, you know, just end the, um, this episode, just, you know, I have been, Catherine Dunham was such a huge, um, you know, icon for me when Mm -hmm. I was growing up. I remember I, you know, I, when I was little, I started out in, um, as an acrobat <laughs> and my teacher told me, I think I was like five years old. My teacher told my mom that I needed to learn more grace. So she put me in ballet classes and then I eventually ended up at, um, a performing arts high school when they did have a performing arts high school in a public school in Chicago, shout out to Lincoln Park High School, (laughs) which is my uh, alma mater. And I was able to, um, you know, 
study at Alvin Ailey when I was 16. And that really changed my life. And I remember my dance teacher, you know, she was like the Debbie Allen of Chicago. And we call her Miss Mack. And Miss Mack, you know, introduced me to Catherine Dunham. And I always knew that I wanted to, you know, travel the world and be a cultural anthropologist, you know, and just figure out how to tell stories. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to do that yet. And I think um, when I look back, you know, we didn't have black ballerinas, you know, or didn't have a lot of examples, Alicia Alonso in Cuba, you know, but that was like way before our time in Catherine Dunham. So we only had to look at like reels. We didn't have um, Misty Copeland, you know, who was breaking barriers. So to see, you know, just the evolution of what you're doing and my generation, you know, as someone from a different generation than yours and how you're using dance to tell stories and to travel and, you know, document is so profound to me. And I'm just so excited to see where you um, are headed, you know, just because I, it's, it's, it's just the beginning, you know? Um, so I want to encourage our listeners to definitely follow Chippo, Chippo Kandaki at Chippo Kandaki. I think it is correct, right? On um, Instagram. And, you know, just follow her because I, we don't have, we, we need her in our, um, at this moment in history. So I just wanted to give you your flowers. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And like I said, I learned from the best. So talk about you. Aww. So, yes. Well, I really appreciate that. Well, um, wishing you, you know, bendiciones, ashe. <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, thank you all for joining Culture and Flavor. This is another beautiful episode. Uh, and thank you for listening. And we look forward to the next one. See y'all later. Culture and Flavor is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.